still some confusing aspects of our family. We've never done anything in the normal way, and so <laughs> neither have we had children in the normal way. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't stopped us, quite amazingly, from having three now. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. My husband and I have four beautiful kids through adoption. If you're new to Adoption Now, then you would not know that we started actually as a radio program in Denver. We just started telling adoption stories from the perspective of the adoptee, birth parent, and adoptive parents. It has now grown into the international podcast you hear today. If you go to adoptionnow.com, you can find a story for you, I promise. We have episodes on foster care, domestic infant adoption, embryo adoption, and international adoption. We're talking about real issues that are happening right now in our adoption community. And if you just started your adoption journey or you need help in your process, we want to connect you to the resources you need. We have professional services that can help you. Again, just go to adoptionnow.com. I'm so happy we're international. And today just proves that because we got someone from the UK to tell their story. They applied a few months ago and I talked to Earl and his wife, Rebecca, about their adoption. And it's it's a crazy story. So you guys, welcome to the show, first of all. Hello. Thank you. It's good to be here. You guys are from the U.S., but you adopted in the U.K.? That is true. And you are a pastor, Earl? Yeah, I lead a community church here in the southern part of the U.K. in a little village. And how did you hear about us? I came across you on uh, Facebook one time, and so clicked on the link and went to the website and also had to listen to a couple of podcasts and uh, liked what I heard and was really thrilled to find a place that, or you know, a site that was basically looking to share the story of adoption because it's such a powerful thing. Yes, and I can't wait for our listeners to hear your story because you guys went through a lot before you moved to the UK, correct? Yeah, that is true. We're married uh, back in 96 and wanted to have children, and that didn't happen naturally. I think we always knew we wanted to adopt, but it was all about timing. And with moving to the UK, we had to wait even longer than we expected. So were you thinking that you wanted to adopt still from the United States, or did you know that you could move to the UK and adopt through that system? Well, the thing was, is when we moved here to the UK, we couldn't use the system because we weren't residents yet. And it wasn't until we'd been here for five years that that even became a possibility. And we didn't even know that that was going to be a possibility. It wasn't until I was at a a church conference and we found out that 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 could be a possibility. So we pursued the U.S. route first because we thought that was our best chance. Okay, tell me that process. Did they tell you that you could apply in the United States but live in the UK? Yeah, so that was a a bit of an odd one because here we were living abroad but looking to adopt domestically as opposed to living in the United States and adopting internationally, which happens a lot. Mm -hmm. We were doing the flip-flop of that. So essentially, we really wanted to adopt, and so... We had had a conversation with friends of ours who had adopted from the United States. And basically, they said, you know, why don't you look into this? We'll pray for you. And so we did the next day. We sat down on our computers and 
and we were like, you know, can we can we find an agency that'll do this for us? And, and we found one, and we called and explained the situation that we were Americans living abroad, but still had citizenship in America. Could we use the American system in that respect and use their agency? And the answer to our surprise was yes, we could do that. Sort of like a special occasion kind of thing. So we we connected with that agency and made a trip to Indiana for one whole month. We left our life here, went there and lived for a month and did the whole, as much of the adoption training and all that and all the meetings and all the home study that we could do in that month. How were they going to process the paperwork for the UK though? How would that have really played out? Well, essentially what happened was we were approved through that agency. What they said was you will then get a phone call when there is a baby that's been given up for adoption and that mother chooses you, which is often the way it works in America. And so we were like, great. So we're just waiting for a phone call, waiting for the email, whatever that may be. And, you know, we waited and nothing happened. And then we got a phone call one time and it's really, really exciting. But it was just more of an informational kind of call. It wasn't that somebody chose us. And it really only dawned on us after a few months that's like, you know what, I think it's really unlikely this is going to happen. It's more of a if, not a when. And so we started to lose hope, if I'm honest. We started to to basically feel, is this really going to happen? And it got more and more difficult to answer people's questions of, hey, what have you heard? What do you know? Because we just had no information at all, and we had no leads. And we were just living here and hoping there, essentially. Rebecca, how were you feeling? Oh, it was really tough because I I really trusted in the timing of God and felt like, you know, it was going to be okay. We're well known in the village and so that we live in. So we would go out people who were just excited for us and wanted, you know, wanted to support us and say, oh, any news, any news, any news. And you're constantly having to say, no, not yet. No, not yet. And that got very, very discouraging. And we knew it would only take one mother to choose us. But for a mother from the U.S. giving up her baby to choose a couple that lived across the ocean, I think it was very, very unlikely. And it just wasn't going to happen, basically. So it was a really hard time. Did you call the agency and say, we're done? Well, we were at a a church conference, and they were talking about people moving around, and I don't remember all the details, but basically they were just, they were talking about people moving in the UK, and we just felt like that was a time that we needed to declare that for now, at least, England is our home. And we didn't know what that meant, though, because if we went ahead and got permanent residency here, that meant we, meant we had to shut the door on the U.S. system of adoption. Mm. And did that mean that we would never be able to adopt? But we felt quite strongly about it. And then we went to a conference by um, someone in the U.K. that's a proponent of adoption here and found out that, yes, we thought that with if we went for the visas, it might be a possibility here. So we had to take that leap of faith and say, listen, we have to shut the door. We have to get residency here. But we don't know for sure if that means to go ahead here. 
How long do you have to live in the country before you can have residency? Five years. Uh, here okay. In, here in the UK, it would mm-hmm. be uh, five years. Okay, so you were so, at that mark. Yeah, well, not <laughs> we were quite. approaching we, it. We, yeah. we weren't at that mark. We were getting near that mark. So essentially, we were going to have to abandon our hopes of adopting in America, mm-hmm. leave that off to one side to then apply to be residents here or long-term residents here, and then basically restart the whole process in this country, mm-hmm. which felt like a pretty daunting task because we'd already been waiting and, and doing all that for quite some time, mm-hmm. but we felt that was what we were supposed to do. And uh, so, yeah, sadly, we, we did. We shut down the process in America and then was basically in between for, for a couple months as well. Okay, so uh, if you were if you were going to decide to adopt in the UK, did that mean that you would make a long-term commitment to the country? It would mean that I, we would I get mean, what's called indefinite leave to remain, which is essentially one step below citizenship. So it's a long-term residency. And with that, even though neither of us are British, with that we would be allowed to use the British system. We didn't know that for a long, long time. We we had assumed because neither of us are citizens, we couldn't adopt here, which meant we could only adopt for America. Mm-hmm. So when we decided, you know what, this is where we live, this is where God has called us to at, at this moment, this is this is where our tent is, where we're dwelling, it was really a step of faith to say, well, we don't even know if we can adopt here, but we know this is where we're supposed to live. So when we did figure out that we actually could adopt here, it was really big news, and it to set us on a new plan. Okay, tell me what that was like. What does that look like? You start your home study? Yes, well, we called an agency here in the UK. It's a private agency that we've been recommended by some friends. And Earl called and said, you know, here's our situation. We we don't have permanent residency yet. What does that mean? And I think this was about May time, and we weren't going to get the residency till oh, October, November, probably. And he said, well, can we apply? She said, oh, I think you'll have to wait until you have that residency, like, oh, which meant, would have meant, you know, another six months. And she said, oh, wait a second. My boss is just walking by. Let me ask her. And she, she asked, and the boss said, oh, yeah, they can go ahead and start before you have an official placement you would need that residency, but you could start the process, which of course makes you feel like you're doing something mm-hmm. and and moving along rather than just a whole another long delay. So they were incredibly good to us and started the process with us very soon after that phone call. Okay. How long before you got the phone call? What we had to do then first was go to a four-day training, which was Really great information. It was with a number of other adopters within that same agency. And then from there, you'd be given a social worker where then you do the home study. And the home study, I think, was eight meetings at our house, which... Oh, my gosh. They just dig into your life greatly. One interesting thing that happened at the very beginning of our home study, we were renting a house here in the village, and we had been there for about a year and a half, and we expected to be there for long term. The landlord who owned the place decided out sort of out of nowhere he wanted to live there for a year, so we had to find new accommodation. 
which meant we were just getting ready to start a home study, but we had to move house, which meant also that we didn't know where we were going. And if we were where we were moving wasn't suitable for children or didn't have enough bedrooms, then we'd have to slow down the process again. So our first ever home study meeting in this country actually took place in a house that we stayed in for a week and a half until our next house oh. was ready to move into. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that, that threw us into a real, like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Here we are. We don't even know where we're going to live now in this country, and we've already started the home study process. But <laughs> God provided an amazing place for us right in the middle of the village. It was his providence that we got it. And so that's the only place. Then we had the rest of the home study, and that's where uh, we finally had uh, adopted children move into. Okay, so how long you, did it take before you got that first phone call that there were children available? So you go through the whole home study process, and then you have to go to what is called a panel, and you have to make it through panel, which is a group of about 12 people, a couple from the agency, a couple doctors, a couple adopters, and other people just from the community. And they basically affirm that, yes, you are you're okay, you are approved to now be in the system to adopt. So that took a while. Our panel meeting wasn't until, I believe it was March, and we had started our home study process in October, something like that. Okay. So once you get through panel, and then you're approved to adopt, then you're entered into basically the portal to see what children are available. And then you don't get called. You actually say, yeah, I'm interested in this child or this sibling group. Okay. And then the ball starts to roll that way. When you finally got access to that portal, did you find children? That was a, a long process, just getting all that sorted through. And I think so. I think it was about May when we started getting profiles of children. And it's quite an overwhelming thing here because people, it's different than the U.S. Children are not given up for adoption here. The only children that go into the adoption system are children that have been removed from their families mm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So you get profiles of children, and we had been approved for up to two children. It's very interesting because all of a sudden you're in the situation where you get to look. All these children that come through and say, I, I'm interested in this one or I'm not interested. In, and that, there's something that doesn't feel quite right about it. Mm-hmm. But you just have to trust your heart in it and trust that, oh, there's a reason I'm drawn to this child or these children. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of decided that we wanted girls. And our social worker was amazing because she said, you know, you haven't had a lot of choice in a lot of things, you know, not being able to have children. So it's okay for you to choose this if this is what you want. Mm-hmm. So we made the decision that we wanted two little girls. And came across these two little girls and something about them just leapt off the page. And we probably looked at maybe 25 children over the course of time and you're reading really tough situations because you get all this information on them. But these two jumped off the page at us. And so we called what's called the family finder. I think that's what she's called. And I and said we were interested And then that lady had to then go to their agency and say, we have a couple that are interested. Here's their profile. Would you be interested in them? 
and their social worker has to look at our profile to say, would this potentially be a good match with this couple? That whole part of the process is really quite emotionally draining because you're reading profiles of children who have been removed for some reason or another, but always a negative reason. But you're also having to come up with reason after reason and that you actually don't feel led to pursue adopting them as well. If you can't adopt every profile you read. So it's a very emotionally draining thing. And, and what we ended up doing was just really taking the foot off the gas pedal and waiting until the right ones came along instead of just saying, oh, maybe it's this one, maybe it's this one. We got a much more selective and we didn't open up every single one we saw that came through. And it was a very um, a real faith-building time, but it was a time that was very emotional as well. Mm-hmm. I think that it opens up your eyes to how many children need homes. Absolutely. And how terrible some of these situations are for these children. You know, and you're right. Just because you are an adoptive parent doesn't mean that you can or should adopt every child that needs a home, right? Because it's a good match. It has to be a good match for both of you. Not just, oh, I'm available, but is this going to be the best match also for the child? Do I have the resources to take care of the situation? So it can be really hard to choose when they're giving you the choice. You know, here, you don't have so much of a choice. And it's a little bit different in that sense. But what about these two girls? How old were they? And what about them made you say, I think this is it? Well, as Rebecca said, we Um, were interested in girls. And we had actually pursued a different set of siblings. And I think we thought, ah, I bet this is going to happen. And then it came back that they'd already been matched with with another family. And so we're like, all right, okay. But then the, the two girls came along and reading their information, we felt that, that who they were, their ages, they were three and a half, one and a half roughly at the time that matched really well with what we were hoping for. We were hoping to go young, you know, as young as we could here. That's about as young as you're going to probably find uh, children in the system. And we felt that the needs that they had were ones that we could work with and that we had to, uh, a lot of faith for for these two little girls. And I'll never forget, I was at the gym. I was actually working outside my headphones on and I was doing something on the treadmill and uh, this person came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you Earl Robinson? I said, I am. Like, you have a phone call? And I said said to myself, well, that's either a really great phone call or a really (laughs) terrible phone call. Mm -hmm. And I went downstairs and said, yeah, and it was Rebecca and she was saying, Earl, the other agency wants to meet with us. They're coming really, you know, like next week, they want to come and have an interview with us and see if we're the right ones. And all of this, that was sort of like the phone call that you talk about that we've mm-hmm. been waiting for just sort of came like, wow, we were not expecting it that fast. And this is actually happening now. And that was just so exhilarating to feel after all those years that we were really getting somewhere. So talk about when they brought the girls yeah. over. So the way it works here is a couple of social workers, it might have been three or four, I can't remember how many were here, came to meet with us. And it was a really good connection. Felt like it was the right right thing. But the thing about here, and, and maybe it's the same in the state, but there's there's always an element of uncertainty. Until every paper signed, every document's done, 
you never quite know. Mm-hmm. So we had to go to another panel called a matching panel near the area where the girls were from. And then once that happened, so that was probably a month after we met these social workers. And to be honest, it's, it's kind of a foregone conclusion because all the social workers are recommending you. So for this panel to say no would be peculiar. But at the same time, they will not guarantee you anything mm-hmm. until that panel has said yes. So you're just left with this, well, what if something goes wrong? What if they say no for some reason? And obviously they didn't. So that was near the end of July. The initial phone call had been the previous May. So we're now to about 15 months, maybe. But really, truly not that long in the UK process. But a long time because we had been in the American one for so long. Mm -hmm. And then what they do is you go and you meet them. But then it's a really gradual getting to know you process. So they put us up near where the girls were staying in foster care for almost two weeks, actually. And the first time you meet them, you meet them for an hour that day. The next day, you go in there just for the morning. And the, and you're, all, you're, with the, you're with the foster care as, as well. And then the next day, it's for a few more hours until gradually you're with them by yourself all the time. Well, that's but good. I mean, how did they respond yeah. to you? The incredible, incredible thing that happened, you know, when we, because we, we met the foster carers and they were absolutely lovely people. And of course, we knew a lot about these children, but we'd never met them. And the foster carers had done a lot of good work prepping the girls for this. And one thing they do here is the girls each got a cuddly toy. And Earl and I had to sleep with those cuddly toys. And then those cuddly toys went to the girls about a week before we met them. Mm. So they could, they, those were given from us. There was pictures of us. Mm. We made a little book with pictures from around our house that they could open. And it had our voice talking to him, talking to them, saying, you know, hi, I can't wait to meet you. So they heard our voice. As much as they could prepare them, they did. And, of course, the three-and-a-half-year-old could talk, but the 16-month-year-old couldn't speak yet. And we walked through the door, and the first words we heard were, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy. Oh, my gosh. That was just incredible. Absolutely one of the most incredible moments. Well, now I'm crying. She was so excited. (laughs) I know. Well, me too. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. You know what? We say in adoption all the time. Don't expect that these children that have been through so much to come in the door and say, Mommy, Daddy, but you got the story. It happened. It did. (laughs) That is so incredible. And from that point, did you guys just feel like we love these girls? Well, absolutely. I mean, you get to know them. And and as time's gone on, obviously, we know them better and better all the time. I think for me... It was easier initially for me to bond with the older, with my old, our older daughter, because she could talk and connect and and all of that. And it took me a little bit longer with our 16-month-old. Something happened a few months into the adoption that really connected us. But you know, you do that connection just builds, and sometimes it's instant, and sometimes it takes some time. Mm-hmm. But it was always there. 
as well. So, yeah. Well, now you have to tell us what happened. Oh, well, a few months into the adoption, our 16-month-old got bronchiolitis and was in the hospital. And she had to be in hospital. And then I got ill while I was in hospital and had to be sent home because I was vomiting. And they won't allow you to be in hospital if you're vomiting. Mm-hmm. And so this poor little thing who's only been adopted, you know, a few months, is having all these strange people look after her. And we came home, and there were other people that were trying to look after her, and she absolutely refused other people. She only wanted mommy. Mm. And it was just such a bonding and attaching experience for us because I just knew at that point how attached she was to me. And we have a really, really good connection now. I, I feel like our attachment is very, very secure. She's six now. Oh my gosh. I love the story. Earl, talk to me <laughs> about when they walked in and say, mommy and daddy, how did you feel as a dad? It was really quite something because, you know, you're, you're driving up there and you don't know what you're going to encounter, but you are going to encounter these two little people that know a little bit about you. They've seen your picture and so forth, but to open the door and to hear that, it really bowled me over, really bowled us over. Say so you, you take a picture and you remember it forever. Well, that time I tried to take a almost a recording to remember what that sounded like forever. It was really quite something. And, and yeah, there was a bond right from the get-go, as Rebecca said. And, and that obviously has grown and grown and grown. But you're also thrown into the into the deep end as well, because we went from having no kids mm-hmm. to having two kids. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine also, what that was like. <laughs> thrust, thrust right into the center then of a whole new community of people basically every other family in the village that has kids you mm-hmm. then have access to because you have kids. So it just, they so totally changed our lives, which mm-hmm. we were up for, we were ready for, we wanted that, and it totally happened mm-hmm. just in a, in a beautiful way. It's so great. A couple of the details from that other story when our youngest was in, was in hospital. It was a very, very difficult time. It was our first Christmas. And I actually had to go back to America because my dad had a heart attack and ended up passing away. And so I was in the hospital and then had to fly out um, while she was still in hospital. So Rebecca was here watching after the girls and getting help from other people while I'm in America with my mom and and putting together the funeral and all that. And it was a very, very difficult time. And I remember I called back to England to talk to our oldest and basically, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And I have no idea really what she said because it was hard to understand her. She's only like four years old, British accent still, and I wasn't catching at all with the exchange on the phone. And I bet she talked for 20, 25 minutes straight, just talked, mm-hmm. wanted to tell me everything as they'd been doing. And I literally just listened for 20, 25 minutes and said, oh, I love you very much. I have to get going. But it was such a special little phone call of, you know, she just had so much to download of what they'd been doing and what, what she'd been seeing with her other with her sister in hospital and how much she missed me and how much she she loved us and, and so on. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, we made it through that first that first Christmas. We had Christmas, I think, on January 8th. That's when we finally opened our presents. And I remember coming back into the airport after the difficult time in America and flying back and they were the first two that I saw, and we have a couple great pictures of me holding them. Just, it was a beautiful time. 
That's really amazing and really a gift, especially because I'm in the adoption community. So I hear stories that aren't as great as that. Kids that don't attach and and are terrified. And so just to hear that that's possible can give somebody hope that that could be your story. And children Mm -hmm. could walk in the door and say, basically, mom and dad, thank you. And we have a home, you know, and it could be that seamless. And I really do believe that that is possible. It's not always like that. And there are resources if you're going through a time when it hasn't been like that. But to hear it is so inspiring. I want to know about their birth family. Were they involved at all? They're not Um, allowed to be here. I mean, once, once the courts make the decision that the birth parents aren't allowed to raise them, they lose their parental rights. Okay. We do a, a yearly exchange of letters. Okay. So, so we write and tell them, and that goes through the council, the, the system. So we don't write directly to them. It goes through a third party who then gets them the letters and vice versa. Okay. So what about in the time before you adopted them? Were they out of the picture or were they going and visiting them oh, also? Oh, I see what you're saying. So Amy, our oldest, was removed a month before her third birthday. And the next one was removed at 10 months. So they were in foster care for about eight months before they came to us. And did they have contact with their birth family at that time? Yes. So the whole time they were in foster care, they had, I don't know, exact frequency of it. Mm-hmm. Probably every couple of weeks they saw the birth family. But then once they knew they were going to officially be adopted, they had a final meeting with the birth family. Okay. Well, that's that's even more of an amazing thing that they walked in, you know, with a change of parents and they were aware that there are other parents and still attached to you. I mean, that's just really, really a miracle. And I'm sure you guys were praising God for that. Okay. But there's more to your story, right? Even after you adopted them, the story goes on. Yeah, there is. We have an unexpected um, chapter. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) You know, we were getting along and the girls were growing up and so forth. And Rebecca had uttered the words, I don't know if it was out loud or just in her head, yeah, we can do this. This is good. And uh, it was the next day we got a phone call out of the blue saying, hey, the birth mother is pregnant again. And basically want to know, would you be interested or able to adopt another one, adopt their sibling? And so, again, I'll, it's one of those times you don't forget. Rebecca called me, and I was I was at a meeting in, in the church office and went out to take the phone call and was not expecting that at all. And uh, all of a sudden, we were then thrust back into, oh, my, what do we do? Um, this is a big deal to mm-hmm. take on a third child. We weren't expecting this. Equally, we also had always said, oh, wouldn't it be neat to have more? Mm-hmm. And so is this God providing that space for us to have another child and to take on their full sibling as well? And so we thought whether we adopt this baby or not, they're going to be part of our world because they'll be alive. And so is God opening the door for us to adopt again? Rebecca, what were you feeling? Well, I remember that phone call because the night before I had thought to myself, I think we're getting the hang of this parenting thing. (laughs) And it was just in my head. 
But then when the phone call came, I instantly, I got so excited. And then I, I think I cried because I was, I was also scared at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, it was this overwhelming excitement yet. Oh my word. Because we love our children very much, but you know, adoption does have its challenges and there has been trauma in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so there are tough moments. There are definite tough moments. Can we handle number three? Can we do this? And we had to really wrestle with that and, and you know, come out the other side. And at the time we got the phone call, the birth mom was expecting, but we were told we would not, if she came to us, that we wouldn't get her straight away. She would have to go straight to foster care. So we knew it was going to be a little while anyway. So we did have some time to process. Mm-hmm. How long? Good. Uh, so that call came in January. She was born in May, but we didn't find out that we were getting her until October. Wow! For definite, we had to go. We had to go back through another home study process. Mm-hmm. It was it was shorter. <laughs> we were thankful for that, but it was still a, you know another process. We had to go before the panel again. We had to be go before a matching panel again, but they did speed it up as much as they could. Basically, they had to prove again that the parents weren't able to parent this new child, even though they hadn't been able to the other two, they had to do it again legally. So because of that, we had to wait. But she never went to the birth parents' home. She went straight into foster care. She did have some contact with them, but she never lived with them. Okay. And so ultimately, you guys said yes. Yes, we did. (laughs) Yeah. So we said yes, and we ended up doing the home study, like Rebecca said, mostly through like the month of April. It was really, really smashed into one concerted time. We had a lot of meetings, and then we were shooting off to America to go visit friends and family. And right before we did that trip to America, we found out that, yep, you've been approved and all that, but you will now hear nothing for months until it's decided whether or not she is allowed to be adopted. So thank you for doing that, and you'll hear nothing now. (laughs) And we didn't. We heard nothing until October. So we were approved in, like, April, heard nothing until October. We just assumed that we were adopting again, but we didn't know for sure. Wow. So as a result, hardly anyone knew, and we could talk to no one in America Mm -hmm. because we had no information Mm -hmm. at all. And of course, our girls we already had adopted didn't know either. And so here we are in our minds thinking, yep, we're going to have a a six-month-old coming to us or something like that. But we can't guarantee that, and so we can't really plan for it. We can do nothing in the house. We can buy nothing. We mm-hmm. can because we didn't know what was going to happen, and we also had to tell our girls before we made any moves like that. Right. So it was a really quite a confusing time. Here we are living life, but mm-hmm. we also know mm-hmm. or think we know. Yes, we've got another one coming. Right, which is adoption, just in a nutshell. Right, yeah. it's like <laughs> waiting. And you wrote a great blog for us, Earl. And your title was Adoption is Waiting, which is so true. It's like you don't have the information. There's no planning. You're just hoping for the best. You're just saying yes. 
and then sitting and waiting longer. I mean, so many families can identify with that. But when you brought her home in October, what was that like? Well, we found out in October it was going to happen. So we, I remember we sat down and we talked to the girls and said, hey, you guys are sisters, aren't you? Well, you have another sister. (laughs) How old were they at this time? She. They were five and a half and three and a half. Ah, okay. So they could both understand. Oh, yeah. They could understand. Our oldest jumped up and down Mm. with excitement. I mean, it was, she never stopped being excited. I mean, she was so, so thrilled. Our three and a half year old, I think it was much more challenging for her. Well, yeah, she was the um, baby. Exactly. But also, even though we've never hid the fact that they're adopted, and we've always talked about it openly, she has no memories of birth family. She has no memories of foster care. So for her, she she didn't really understand what that meant. And so when this baby's coming, where's this baby coming from? And why isn't this baby going to her mommy? And it was much, much more confusing for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's taken her a while, I think, to, to to understand kind of what happened. And it's kind of the first realization that she had that she was adopted. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of when we brought our third child home and our daughter, Lily, was two, but Lily started talking at nine months. So she was speaking oh, full wow. sentences at two years old. And she kept asking me when we brought Vivi home, uh, where's her mom? When is her mom coming to get her? I mean, because she had been the baby and she didn't like this new baby taking her spot. And it, it was clear to her, this baby had a mom somewhere else and uh, the mom needed to come pick her up. So I understand that <laughs> this foreigner is in her house and it was time for her to pack up. So I think it's hard for, for the, you know, littlest one to accept. Absolutely. <laughs> but how I, are they I now? Think, you know, she has struggled with that. How do they get along now? Well, well they get along two. like siblings do. Oh, mm-hmm. Katrina, the middle one, like Rebecca said, struggles some because she was used to being the baby for a while and for quite a couple of years. And so she can still struggle with that. But now that um, the youngest, Rose, is getting older, they're able to start playing together more and so on. And so that's been a good change. Mm-hmm. That's been helpful. And as she's able to talk more, that's really helpful as well. So they are what you would expect three sibling girls to be. Mm-hmm. Really great friends and also <laughs> worst enemies. Each other's throat at yes. too. Yeah, we have that too. We have three girls too. Did you guys get to name Rose? No, she was named, but we have liked all of their names. Mm-hmm. And we have just felt like that is something that the birth parents gave to them that they can always have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they came with such lovely names. Amy, Katrina, and Rose. Mm-hmm. So we, we've, you know, kept them as we could have changed Rose's if we wanted to, but we we chose not to. And because you adopted all of them, they have your last names, obviously, but they're all yes. also American citizens. They are no. British citizens. Ooh, tell me and how that American works. Citizens. But you're British citizens, so you can travel with them. No, we're American citizens, and they are British okay. citizens. So we can travel with them. It means when we get to airports, we have to go through different lines and so forth. Again, because we have indefinite leave to remain here, meaning long-term residents, 
Okay, you're not um, a citizen, you're a resident. Yeah, we're like okay. one step below that. Okay. What it would mean is if we ended up moving back to America for whatever reason, that they would not automatically become American citizens. They would have to live there for a period of time and then apply for citizenship because they were adopted within this country and they're not our natural children. Mm-hmm. So again, there, there's still some confusing aspects of our family. We've never done anything in the normal way. And so mm-hmm. neither have we had children in the normal way, mm-hmm. but that hasn't stopped us quite amazingly from having three now. Mm-hmm. And are you looking for number four? <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think, I mean, I think we are at capacity to be honest. Uh-oh, you know what happened when you said that last time, though, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. I mean, we are always open to whatever God has for us. But I do remember when we had the two, I did long for another. Mm-hmm. And now that we've had the three, it does feel like complete. it's full and much more complete. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean, I mean, we'll always be open if God says something different. But at this point, that's the way we feel. And they're, they're eight six, and then Rose will be three in a few days, actually. So, you know, they're in, a, they're in nice ages right now as well. Mm-hmm. No more diapers. No, yeah, we're, get, we're getting out of that. Yes. Just wonderful. <laughs> yes. I'm looking forward to that, too. I'm almost there. I always say, you know, I don't know if you guys have a diaper genie, but, you know, the di- yes. there's a genie that holds the diapers, and I'm like, that diaper genie is begging me, like, please stop. I have been holding diapers for almost nine years. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we need to retire this. <laughs> we're done with diapers, but we're the same way. You know, exactly. our hearts are always open and it's such a beautiful story that you shared with us. And I know that a lot of people needed to hear that story because it's inspiring and it goes beyond the normal in every sense of the way. And it really sheds light on the foster care system, adopting through foster care, whether it be in another country or America. It's just, there are these children that need homes and they are loving. You know, and instead of, if God is telling you to go into the foster care system and to go that route, to not be afraid that he'll provide for you and, you know, don't listen to every negative story that you hear. Although I I love educating people on what could be, Mm. this is a beautiful story that, hey, this could be too. And children could just walk in and need you. I mean, obviously they need you, but just give so much love. And so thank you for taking the time and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and remember all of our podcasts are available at our website, adoptionnow.com. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. See you next week.